Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, today on our weekly roundtable. The United States Senate has passed a short-term government funding bill that provides $12.3 billion in further aid to Ukraine. The Biden administration promises to maintain financial support for Kyiv to battle the Russian invasion. The legislation passed by a 72 to 25 Senate vote on Thursday is expected to be approved in the House of Representatives before making it to President Joe Biden's desk. Meanwhile, on Friday, September 30th, Russia's President Vladimir Putin announced that Russia now has four new regions. This after a referendum was held in four regions of Ukraine between September 23rd to 27th. The referendum was declared illegal by the head of the UN and the US has said it will not recognize what they refer to as an annexation, an illegal annexation of Ukrainian territory. Russia has said, the millions of people voted to be part of Russia. Ukraine has said that it will fight to reclaim all of its territory. Also, there's a blame game as the Nord Stream gas pipeline connecting Russia and Germany was sabotaged. What's going on? And a notable rightward shift in Europe as Italy elects its first woman prime minister and its first far-right government since World War II, and Sweden's anti-immigrant far-right has been victorious in a recent election there. Meanwhile, a key election will take place in Brazil to determine who will lead that nation. And in the United States, Donald Trump and his allies continue to dominate the Republican Party, and Trump and his team are now at odds with the special master they asked for in the conflict with the Department of Justice over materials the FBI seized from Trump's Mar-a-Lago compound. Also, recent hurricanes, including Ian and Fiona, and a typhoon in the Philippines, and flooding in Pakistan, has brought renewed attention to the impacts of climate change. Our panelists are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. Russia has annexed four regions of Ukraine at a ceremony today. Donetsk, 
Kherson, Luhansk, and parts of Zaporizhia. This comes as a Russian strike in Zaporizhia killed at least 23 people and wounded dozens. Ahead of the annexation, it was one of several Russian strikes on Ukraine today. Zaporizhia's regional governor said there were at least 28 wounded when Russian forces targeted a humanitarian convoy heading to Russian-occupied territory. In a speech today, Russia's President Vladimir Putin charged the West with trying to lead a war against Russia and vowed to defend Russia's territory. The United Nations Security Council, meanwhile, has scheduled a vote this afternoon on a resolution condemning Russia's, quote, illegal so-called referenda, unquote, declaring it invalid and reaffirming the areas as Ukraine's sovereign territory. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres Thursday blasted Russia's annexation. The Russian Federation is one of the five permanent members of the Security Council, shares a particular responsibility to respect the Charter. Any decision to proceed with the annexation of Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson and Zaporizhia, regions of Ukraine, would have no legal value and deserves to be condemned. The U.S. and Albania are sponsoring the resolution. U.S. President Joe Biden denounced the referendums yesterday as well. The United States, I want to be very clear about this, the United States will never, never, never recognize Russia's claims on Ukraine's sovereign territory. This so-called referenda was a sham, an absolute sham. The results were manufactured in Moscow. And uh, the, the, uh, the true will of the Ukrainian people is evident every day as they sacrifice their lives to save their people and maintain the independence of their country and uh, in defense of uh, freedom as well. He spoke Thursday during a summit with Pacific Island leaders in Washington. A revived Hurricane Ian is bearing down on South Carolina's coast, with forecasters predicting a storm surge and floods. The mega storm caused catastrophic damage in Florida, leaving people trapped in flooded homes, and was blamed in growing reports of deaths in the state. At least six people are confirmed dead in Florida, including two who died Thursday afternoon when their car hydroplaned and overturned in a water filled ditch, while three other people were reportedly killed in Cuba after the hurricane struck there Tuesday. President Joe Biden pledged federal support as he warned about the possible number of casualties. This could be the deadliest hurricane in Florida's history. The numbers of still are still unclear, but we're hearing early reports of what may be substantial loss of life. The president declared an emergency. Florida's governor, Republican Ron DeSantis, says search and rescue efforts are underway. Rescue personnel have gone to more than 3,000 homes in the hardest hit areas, uh, going door to door to check on the occupants of those residences. There are over 1,000 dedicated rescue personnel who are going up and down the coastline. Uh, they all also are going to be doing more and more inland. He says as of this morning, they've helped rescue at least 700 people, mostly by air. The hurricane was massive, measuring 400 miles across, largely aided by warming oceans due to climate change. The Senate easily passed a short-term spending bill Thursday to avert a partial government shutdown. The current fiscal year ends at midnight tonight. The vote sends the measure to the House, where it's also expected to win easy passage today. It would finance the federal government through mid-December, largely at current spending levels. It includes $12 billion in funding for Ukraine. It also includes disaster assistance, $2.5 billion 
to help New Mexico communities recover from the largest wildfire in the state's history, $2 billion for a block grant program to aid economic recovery of communities impacted by recent disasters, and $20 million for water and wastewater infrastructure improvements, previously authorized for Jackson, Mississippi. $18 billion was included for FEMA to respond to current and future disasters such as Hurricane Ian. Republicans refused to agree to $22 billion the Biden administration asked for to continue the fight against COVID-19 or for the $4.5 billion it requested for monkeypox. Right-wing activist Virginia Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, voluntarily appeared before a committee investigating the deadly January 6th insurrection Thursday. Committee Chair Benny Thompson said after the four-hour interview, Ginny Thomas stood by the false claim that the 2020 election was fraudulent. The committee has for months sought to interview her in an effort to know more about Thomas's role in trying to help former President Donald Trump overturn the 2020 presidential election results. The extent of her involvement, if any, in the Capitol attack is unclear. Six Republican-led states filed suit to block the Biden administration's student loan debt forgiveness plan for millions of Americans Thursday. Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina. Later in the day, Arizona filed its own suit, accusing the administration of overstepping its executive powers, arguing only Congress has the power of the purse to cancel student debt. Hours after the Biden administration announced it's scaling back its program to cancel up to $20,000 of individual student debt. It's now excluding millions of borrowers from eligibility, those who had privately held loans and did not consolidate them with the federal government. I'm Christina Onestead, reporting for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. It is our weekly roundtable, and I would like to welcome our panelists. I'd like to welcome Laura Carlson, director of the Americas Program, who works with Just Associates, an international feminist organization. Laura is based in Mexico City. She is a regular contributor to America's Updater, Foreign Policy and Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish language publications. She's also a television host and commentator on globalization, the drug war, immigration, and gender issues for various international news outlets. Laura, welcome. Thank you very much, Margaret. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, and we'd like to welcome Jackie Goldberg. She is a governing board member for the Los Angeles School Board District 5. She is a former member of the California State Assembly. Jackie Goldberg had previously served as a member of the Los Angeles City Council, and before being elected to the council, she served on and was later president of the Los Angeles School Board. Jackie Goldberg, welcome. Thanks for inviting me. All righty. Thank you, Jackie. And we'd like to welcome Dr. Gerald Horn, the Moores Professor of History and African-American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books and 100 scholarly articles and reviews. His latest book is The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery, Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S., Fascism and Revolting Capital racism and radical
radicalism in Washington, D.C. His other projects include a study of U.S. imperialism in Northeast Africa, principally Egypt and Ethiopia in the 19th and early 20th centuries, and a similar study concerning U.S. imperialism in Southeast Asia during the same period. Dr. Horn, you've been busy as per usual. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and and indeed, all of our panelists here are just incredible. We really appreciate all of them, and they are all likely beyond their eyeballs with the various work that they are involved in. We're going to start out today on the international front. Actually, I know the Hurricane Ian is very much on, on everyone's mind as it's making its way to South Carolina It has become a hurricane again, at least 21 um, reported thus far dead in Florida. But we're going to start off in the international front. There's a lot happening in terms of Ukraine. In the introduction, I mentioned that the U.S. has now passed additional funding for the Ukraine, $12.3 billion in aid. And, you know, the Biden administration continuing its financial support for Kyiv. And also today, Friday, September 30th, Russia's President Vladimir Putin announced that Russia now has four new regions. Now, this after a very controversial referendum that was held in four regions of the Ukraine in September, September 23rd to 27th, this referendum Putin declared victory, said millions of people voted to be part of Russia and were happy to be part of Russia. Zelensky of Ukraine has said that they're going to fight to get this territory back. There was a lot of action that happened around the time of this referendum and after the referendum, including a a bombing of a convoy of civilians moving, that were moving in the direction of Russian territory. And the blame game is there where Russia is blaming Kyiv and Kyiv is blaming Russia for that attack. And also the other blame game has to do with the Nord Stream gas pipeline that connects Russia and Germany. Now there were leaks that were discovered on Monday at Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, according to reports, and then another within hours of each other in the economic zones of Sweden and Denmark. Now the latest news is that they were caused by blasts The blame game is there. Russia, the head of Russia intelligence just today said that the U.S. and Western powers are behind this blast, that Russia has nothing to gain from it. Anthony Blinken has said, well, you know, not so fast, but he's also not coming out and making any claims to say that Russia was responsible for the blast. And there were a lot of initial reports around that. So there's a lot happening here. And Laura, we're going to start with you on all these latest developments in Ukraine and Russia and what many see as a kind of proxy war, although civilians in Ukraine are the ones paying the heavy price for all of it. Laura Carlson. That's right, Margaret. And so we have a conflict that's clearly Russia 
an illegal invasion against Ukraine that's fighting for its sovereignty. But we also have a growing conflict between war and peace factions. What we can see in this latest, this latest set of circumstances that you've mentioned, the annexation of, of four regions or the official declaration that those four regions will be annexed by Russia and the bombings and the increased funding to Ukraine is obviously from action, a global faction on both sides that wants to see this war continued. And meanwhile, peace is, is being marginalized. We have to start by saying that this annexation vote, and I've been an election observer in many elections in, in this region, uh, could not be, although there are a lot of Russian sympathizers within these regions, when you have a military occupation and an unobserved election like this, it's just whatever the result is cannot be considered by, valid. And now Russia is posed to, we see a clear ex escalation of the war there. We also see very serious problems for Russia in continuing this long-term war because of the internal draft notice. They say that there's some 200,000 people who have fled Russia to avoid the draft. If we think back to the Vietnam War, this internal dissension could seriously affect Russia's ability to continue with this, what it calls a special military operation, but which is clearly a war on Ukraine and an attack on its sovereignty. Meanwhile, we see more sanctions on the part of the European Union. All of this, again, is just escalating the, the war with and, and creating conditions in which it makes it very possible for peace to happen. And this in a context where the costs are rising, there's been almost 13,000 civilian casualties that are registered. There may be many more. There's over 7 million refugees from Ukraine, from Ukraine in the rest of Europe, which is just a gigantic number. And the damage to agriculture, which of course affects the entire world in terms of looming and already visible food shortages, is estimated between four and six billion dollars. There's also the possibility of nuclear war or contamination that we've discussed before. In this context, I'm here in Mexico City. Mexico has proposed a negotiation as an elected member of the Security Council and a pacifist foreign policy within this country. And basically, it would consist of high-level caucus for dialogue and peace, as it's called. This would bring together the United Nations. They're hoping that the Pope and heads of state would also join in to open up negotiations which have been very sporadic and have lacked political will in the past. All of this is nothing really particularly new, but it's a proposal that underlines the need for a negotiated peace in this context of a war that will have devastating impacts on the entire world. What they're hoping is that there'll be some kind of a breakthrough to say that really this can't go on despite the fact that both sides are betting that it will go on. And it looks like one of the major blocks to this kind of an initiative is actually the US government in the hopes that by drawing out the war, it will weaken Russia in a permanent geopolitical game of who will be the superpower well into the future. 
Right. Thank you for that, Laura Carlson. And Jackie Goldberg, I mean, in your early days as a student, you were part of the peace movement of the anti-war movement there. And Laura mentioned this uh, additional draft mobilization of troops uh, by Putin that apparently um, reports now there was a, a lot of pushback. And I imagine they was a pushback because there is a, a peace movement in Russia, whatever one thinks about what NATO did or about Russia's invasion in, in Ukraine, about um, what the Ukraine is doing. Uh, clearly, you have mothers and sisters and, and wives, um, family members who are concerned about the body bags uh, that are coming back. And now this um you know, this initial uh, pull up of, of troops. And Putin himself admitted that there were some mistakes uh, made in this uh, troop uh, pull up. But not only on that, but just generally uh, your thoughts on where we are now, because the United States is continuing to pour um, billions more into this war, Jackie Goldberg. Yes, well, you know, I think this new move is a very dangerous one, this notion that these four areas are now part of Russia, because in one of the things that uh, Putin said when, when he did this is, is that now that they are part of Russia, we will use, quote, all means at our disposal to defend them. Well, you know, what that means is, is that they're going to try and hold on to them. They don't hold actually any of these four regions entirely. And one of them, I think, is one of the ones that the Ukrainian forces are pushing into, which is part of the northeast of Donet. And actually, they're surrounding, I understand, the town of Lyman, which is a key staging ground for Russian forces. So that Russia has claimed this, I think, has made it dangerous because now Russia will say any Ukrainian war efforts in those four regions are attacks on Russia. And that is a very dangerous possibility because if he treats it as an attacks on Russia, he may say that the United States help is a part of attacking Russia now directly which I think is a pretty dangerous addition to this. I also think that the whole notion of these four with this this fake, I mean, I, we saw pictures of people going door to door to get people to vote. Now, you know, when you go door to door to get people to vote and you're under military siege, they're not going to pick uh, to vote in a way uh, that because it was all public, it was no, no nothing in secret. They handed the ballot open to the uh, the so-called person getting the ballots. So the whole thing was a complete farce. But I think the danger in all of this is is that that uh, the United States support for Ukraine and Russia's really difficulty in keeping its own war effort going, make it more likely that Putin will do something really outrageous and stupid beyond the stupid things that he's done thus far. And I think we're in a very, very difficult place right now in this war because the peace forces in uh, Russia are being uh, mutilate, mutilated. They've been arrested, arresting in large numbers and putting them in in uh, very difficult situations, the the repression is even for Russia uh, above average amounts of repression of those who are voting against this. I think that Russia's biggest problem is even if they can get some of these people to go into the military, they have not been trained. They do not know what to do. They will go and either be killed, but they're more likely to commit war crimes. 
because they aren't trained and because they will be people who have no uh, leadership that they rely on because they are not military people. They are civilians being forced into a new role. So I think this is a very dangerous moment in this whole Ukraine, Russia, uh, United States issues. Thank you, Jackie Goldberg. And, and Dr. Horn, Laura Carlson talked about a, a negotiated end to all of this. And you know, many, even though quietly, have said that there has to be a negotiated settlement, that that's the only way to really end this conflict. And the attack on the Nord Stream um, pipeline, um, Indian Punchline says it kills that prospect for uh, dialogue. And this whole blame game uh, that is going on of some uh, pointing fingers at Russia to say they're responsible and Russia saying, what do we have to gain? We had nothing uh, to gain. Um, you know, by this. And then you also had the member of the European Parliament, a former Swedish foreign minister, who thanked the United States for damaging the Nord Stream pipeline. Well, that kind of <laughs> caused a lot of controversy. And people, the article also refers to Joe Biden threatening in February, before Russia began its military, you know, what's called a military operation, the invasion of, of Ukraine, that there will no longer be a Nord Stream 2, and said, quote, I promise you, we will be able to do that. So Dr. Horn, a lot of this has to, is, is in play here. And uh, at the same time, um, the point that you often make with the relationship of what's going on with Russia and um, China, um, the U.S. also announced uh, some millions, $810 million in support of Pacific Island um, countries to counter China. Uh, Dr. Horn, your thoughts on all this? Well, with regard to the pipeline sabotage, it beggars belief to think that Russia attacked its own interests. As I sift through the evidence, it seems to me that the possible culprits could be either A, U.S. imperialism, B, rogue elements within the national security establishment in Washington, or C, a combination of the above plus Poland, which has a bone to pick with both Russia and Germany, Germany, of course, being the major victim of the pipeline sabotage. Which brings me to the next point, that irrespective of one's analysis of what's going on, it's apparent that Germany is being hammered by this conflict. The Economist, the conservative British Weekly, had a piece a week or two ago which actually revived the discredited 1945 Morgenthau Plan, which in terms of revenge against Nazi Germany, suggested that this nation should be deindustrialized so it could not create more havoc in Europe. And somehow it seems that that is taking place since Germany was heavily dependent upon cheap energy from Russia and exporting to the large market that is China. The United States now has its eyes on both Russia and China. Germany houses 55 troops and some of the most important U.S. military bases overseas, including. And so Germany, this mighty nation of 82 million people, is seemingly a lapdog. And speaking of lapdogs, look at the implosion of the British economy, where you've had a collapse of the pound. I recall when the pound was worth $2.40. It's not almost at parity, one-to-one -one with the U.S. dollar. And What's interesting is that Mr. Biden announced some months ago that he was going to reduce the ruble to rubble, when actually in February, before the intervention in Ukraine, 
the ruble was at 70s to a dollar. Now it's at 50s to a dollar, which means it's strengthened. And what's happening is that we're having a transition, not only a transition from the uh, Anglo sphere inaugurated in the 16th century to a China, Brazil, Russia, BRICS dominated sphere, but also we're having a transition from these so-called fiat currencies, principally the U.S. dollar, which is now undergoing de-dollarization, to currencies based on commodities. And Russia is awash in commodities. China and, and India, you may have noticed recently, have been gobbling up gold. Former Treasury Secretary of the United States under Nixon, John Connolly, used to say about the dollar that it's the U.S. currency, but it's the world's problem. And you see that with the strengthening of dollar causing havoc from London to Tokyo. But that era might be coming to an eclipse. And it seems that there are those in Washington who do not want to see that transition take place. Now, with regard to this annexation, as it's being termed, I think that uh, the fate of that will be determined by the positions of ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, the African Union, Mercosur, the Latin American Trading Bloc. Uh, we can be sure that the North Atlantic countries, which of course includes the UN Secretary General who has roots in Portugal, will be opposed, but with the world changing, it's not determined that they'll have the final say. Finally, with regard to peace, it's well known that in March in Istanbul, peace was being negotiated between the two sides, uh, Russia and Ukraine. But Boris Johnson, then British Prime Minister, did a Bigfoot exercise and broke up the peace talks. But I dare say that uh, I trust that eventually the Germans in particular, and I would say the French most notably, will strap on their big boy pants and decide to step up and stand up to Uncle Sam. Yes, thank you for that, Dr. Horn. And I must say that in sorting all of this out, depending on, on what media outlets you read, you get quite different stories. I, I read a story um, where there was a representative of BRICS International. You referred to uh, the BRICS, um, uh, Brazil, uh, Russia, India, China, South Africa, um, who said that she was a representative for this um, so-named uh, referendum and that there were representatives, she says, from 70 different nations there monitoring this particular vote. So, you know, we may never know all of, of, of what went on there, but we do know that in a time of war and occupation, uh, voting, as we could see in Haiti, one of the reasons uh, that the movement in Haiti has said uh, uh, elections are just impossible now in this environment um, is precisely related to uh, Jackie's point about uh, war going on and, and how freely uh, people feel they can go vote. So we'll see. It remains to be seen how all this is going to pan out. So thank all of our panelists. We're going to take a short station break now. <clears throat> and when we return, what is going on with in these election cycles, Europe uh, shifting to the right, uh, Brazil will be deciding um, whether Lula will come back and Bolsonaro out. And meanwhile, the United States, the problems of Trump, well, and the GOP against the special master, against the, the Department of Justice um, and uh, 
to be continued with the, um, the talk of the past presidential election still being described as uh, not a legal election. And so many people believing that Trump actually is still the legal president. I mean, go figure. We're also going to be uh, talking about this recent round of hurricanes and a, a massive tornado in the Philippines and the connection with climate change. Stay with us. We'll be right back. All righty. War, what is it good for? And uh, as we look at what's happening in Ukraine, you know, one has to, again, pose that question. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, our handle on Instagram and Twitter at SoTrueRadio, our website, SoTrueRadio.org. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. We're heard nationwide and globally throughout the world on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the Bronx, in the Bronx of New York City. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in France. Uh, We are now going to uh, continue our Discussion. It is our weekly roundtable. Our panelists are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. Now, a lot happening in the area of elections. Um, in parts of Latin America, you see a shift uh, somewhat to the left, right? In Europe, you're seeing a shift to the right. Italy, very concerning. Uh, someone who has um, who has praised uh, Mussolini. Um, that. <laughs> Um, if, if you would believe this, in, in Italy, going back to World War II, staunchly anti-immigrant, a friend of Steve Bannon, uh, praised by um, Tom, uh, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and others, becomes the first uh, prime minister there, um, uh, Maloney. And what Politico says holds a mirror to Trump's uh, GOP. NPR says provisional results show Italy set for first far-right government since uh, World War II. We also see similarly in Sweden, uh, the law and order lobby anti-immigrant, because of course, you know, when you have these immigrants coming in, as so much as the the talk, um, black and brown people, you're going to have an increase in and crime and violence, et cetera, because, uh, well, you know, the old racist trope there. Um, so Sweden, that had a, a, a kind of a liberal government um, for a long time now, um, people are in a bit of shock. The election was very close there, 49.6, um, and the, of the right block, and the left, 48.9. So it was very close, but as people say, a win is a win. Uh, Laura Carlson, <laughs> um, your thoughts on all this? And, and meanwhile, we have our eye on what's happening in Brazil as well. 
Yes, there's some kind of earth-shaking movements taking place here in the election results. I don't think we can really uh, come to a conclusion about tendencies overall because countries are moving in different in different directions. It's very clear in Europe that there's a rise of the right, however, and this is not something that just happened overnight. We know that Steve Bannon has been working diligently within Europe to promote and to fund these far-right movements. In Italy, the uh, win of Giorgia Maloney is a shock, but it was also expected. But when you think about it, it's almost hard to believe that we're now looking at a country that is voted to basically go, go back to a party that has its roots in the fascist Mussolini era. Um, so I don't know. I wouldn't know how to really explain that. Of course, there are very specific sectors of the population that will suffer from this. The first one, as you mentioned, being immigrants. These are parties that are banking on that hard line against immigration and the racist um, the racist stereotypes of immigrants being a threat to their society. They also control in Italy the Chamber of, of Deputies. They've kind of toned down their rhetoric right now. The markets are unstable because of this big change. But now that they're in power, we don't know if that toning down will actually be set aside and we'll begin to see some of these hard right policies become a reality among, among the people. In Sweden, the same thing. It's not only that the moderates of far right uh, party won, but there's also the rise of what is a historically literally a neo-Nazi party. And so they're working now to consolidate a new government. But what we're seeing is also something very similar to what we see in the United States in that the rural areas, in this case, southern Sweden, where their primary concerns on immigration and crime have been manipulated, have been um, brought into the folds of these far-right parties, and there's a big split between the countryside and the cities. And then in Brazil, of course, all of Latin America is watching this election very closely. Now Lula, the left-wing former president, has come up in the polls, so there's a good possibility that he will actually win in the first round. Uh, it'll depend a lot on turnout. If there's a good turnout, then that will favor Lula and he'll have a first round victory. The biggest concern at this point is that Bolsonaro has been preparing a Trump ploy in which he's questioning already before the elections the legitimacy of the results and essentially saying that he may challenge the results if he loses and creates social instability and a bogus claim that there was fraud in some way in order to uh, prevent his, his uh, opponent from taking power. So we're hoping that there won't be violence in Brazil as the far right refuses to accept a democratic election. Yeah, really scary. Bolsonaro has said that the only way he's going to lose, I hear, is he says, if I'm in jail or dead. So we'll see how all of that goes. But yeah. uh, Jackie Goldberg, really troubling um, when you look at what's happening 
uh, in Europe, the the in Sweden, the Sweden Democrats, interestingly, as they're called, their leader is using rhetoric like now the work begins to make Sweden good again. Sound familiar? And also it's time to put Sweden first, right? And this whole mm. anti-immigrant uh, thing. And then you have in, in, uh, um, in Sweden, then in Italy, you have the Fratelli d'Italia, the, the, you know, um, this leader Maloney, 45 years old, she's young, first woman prime minister, by the way, for everybody who says, well, if you have a woman in office, you know, you stand a good chance. Well, it depends on what that woman stands for, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, so it, it, it really is a, a scary, uh, a scary time here in terms of what's happening in Europe. Yeah, uh, and, I, and, and, and I don't think it's unrelated to a whole bunch of other things. You know, why is there so much migration? Why is there so much migration? Well, there's so much migration because of poverty. There's so much migration because of inequality, of the colonialists of the past having taken all the resources from places that they controlled. Why is there so much migration? There's because of floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and climate change and and creating places where it's no longer livable to, for anybody. You can't go back there. They're underwater. They're burned out. Pakistan, what? Half the country is underwater. Half the country is underwater. Not just a little bit of it, but half the country. Well, that creates migration. And migration is what the uh, whiter European countries are now dealing with for the first time in very large numbers. And it is creating a backlash, uh, just as the right wing here uses migration in the United States to create a backlash. Interestingly enough, though, many of the countries that are getting a lot of migration don't have enough workers to keep their economy going without those workers. So it's going to be a very interesting process. I think uh, what some of the immigrants uh, in Sweden uh, has led to is some gang related violence, which also the Sweden Democrats have have played uh, out of uh, actually proportion. Uh, but why why this is happening in Sweden, I think, is, is that uh, the S Sweden Democrats, even though they've had seats in the parliament, have never had to govern. And they still won't govern now. I think the new minority government will be right wing, but they won't include the Sweden Democrats. Uh, but the last government, you know, was a center-left coalition. It was an unnatural alliance, and it was incoherent. It came together because it opposed the Sweden Democrats rather than what it actually wanted. And I think that hurt uh, them in this last election as well, because they couldn't point to things that they had accomplished. Uh, uh, so I don't know. It's, uh, you know, you got a very interesting coalition, okay, because the moderates that are in the coalition with the Sweden Democrats want tax cuts. But the Sweden Democrats want higher pen pensions and unemployment benefits. It's very difficult to understand uh, the policies of the Sweden Democrats because their notions about higher pensions and higher unemployment benefits is much more like uh, more of the liberal parties in Sweden, but that's part of their platform. So I think what we're seeing though, however, is we're seeing a changing world in Europe. Europe is no longer Europe of old. And the folks that, like in the United States, want to go back to when it was all white, all pretty much normal, everybody pretty much on the same page, uh, that's gone. That ain't going to happen anymore. And so now we're left with the idea 
of is it only the right wing that can rise during these things or can the left now begin to make some gains as well? It's going to have to do a lot better than it did in Sweden. Right. And and Dr. Horn, uh, your thoughts on all of this, because, there, you know, it's it's the legacy of colonialism as well. You know, um, back in the um, late 1980s, uh, a, a speech I gave was turned into a book called Black Women Bringing It All Back Home. And it was in the UK, it was published in the UK and used in some schools in the UK. And in it, as an immigrant from Barbados, I made the case that we didn't come for the weather whether it was to the UK or Canada or, or the US, and also that we have every right uh, to be here because we help to produce the wealth <laughs> on which uh, Europe's uh, lifestyle rests right now. Um, Dr. Horn, your thoughts on what's happening with these, these elections? Well, I think that historical epics tend to fit together like Lego blocks. That is to say, you can't understand what's happening in Sweden, Brazil, and Italy, and Italy in particular, without understanding the previous epic, meaning the Cold War, because what happened is that the United States and its allies waged a holy war against the left in Italy. And when it destabilized the political ecosystem, like a seesaw, you began to see the rise of the right. Recall that in the 1947 election, the United States uh, lobbied its Italian-American community to intervene with its relatives in Italy to vote against the left. Recall that in the 1970s, when Christian Democratic Prime Minister Aldo Moro in Rome was about to effectuate the historic compromise, that is to say, bringing the Communist Party into power, the, one of the strongest communist parties in Europe, uh, he was kidnapped and then executed uh, with the apparent acquiescence of Washington. And then there's the influence of the Italian left, uh, in the United States, which raised many eyebrows. I'm thinking of Gillo Pontecorvo, the Italian filmmaker. His Battle of Algiers film was used as political education by the Black Panther Party. His film Burn, starring Marlon Brando, was probably the most stirring cinematic extravaganza ever produced, dealing with a slave revolt. You think of Francesco Rossi, uh, Bernardo Bertolucci, and so, it's inevitable that when you try to destabilize the left and you try to weaken the main predator of the right, within the pre then those who were being preyed upon, that is to say the right, begin to proliferate. Now, we have a very serious problem with this Brothers Party and Prime Minister uh, Maloney. If you look at her Twitter, Twitter feed, it's so anti-African, uh, it would make the Ku Klux Klan blush. Uh, there is even video uh, harking back to the racist U.S. film Birth of a Nation of men from Africa attacking dainty European Italian women. And of course, part of this has to do with the flood of migrants into Italy after the overthrow of Gaddafi in 2011. And the European governments have not reacted very well uh, to this arrival of migrants which does not bode well for this impending epic of climate refugees that Europe is about to endure. Right, and on that note, speaking of climate, thank you for that, uh, Dr. Horn. Uh, let us go just as we wrap the show up now. Um, many uh, people like 
uh, had like myself, I had to make a phone call to do a welfare check on my brother and his family um, who were in Lee County that was so hard hit uh, by Ian. I'm, I'm happy to report that they are okay. They're, they're fine and my nephews are all right, but there are a number of other family members in um, the hardest in, in Fort Myers that we still haven't heard from yet. Uh, a lot of repercussions for all of this. And then um, we look at Cuba who uh, lost electricity, the whole island. We look at Puerto Rico uh, being hit yet again. Jackie Goldberg mentioned the uh, Pakistan um, half underwater, the Philippines very hard hit by a powerful uh, cyclone. Let us just go to a short clip from uh, MSNBC. I guess it's as close as kind of mainstream media gets to discussing some of these issues. Anchor Ali Velshi, who is in Naples. And, you know, just to pick up, I don't know if you could hear Bill, um, Ali, but, you know. I did, yeah. There is a lot that has changed about the earth that has made these things worse, right? I mean, these things are thriving yep. because the water is getting warmer. And I think when people, we stopped calling yep. it global warming for political reasons, but that's what it is, right? Our earth is getting warmer. And there is just no doubt, I think, left that it is feeding these beasts. Well, and, and what you where it comes out is in the intensity. The people say, well, there have been hurricanes for millennia. Well, that's true. Uh, but we, we sometimes get these ones that are so much more damaging and so much more intense. And then there's the complicating factor that in places like uh, Bill was just talking about, the St. John's River in Florida, Savannah, Charleston. Charleston, like Miami, gets water that comes up on a, on a good sunny day. That's climate change because water levels are rising. So on one hand, you have uh, more intense storms because of warm weather and the pattern that cause these storms to, to form. And then you've got greater damage because we've got a rising water levels. And it, it's good that we talk about these things in the moment because lots of times in, over the years when I brought it up, people have said, oh, now's not the time to talk about That's it. Right. Like, now's the time to talk about it because the only time people are paying attention to how damaging these things are. And that does mean taking into account how you build things and how you yeah. account for it, which is fine in places like Naples here where you can build stuff that's off the ground. But what about in poor areas where people that's don't right. have the money to rebuild? What about what happened in, uh, in in New Orleans during Katrina. So this is why we have to think about climate change in relation to severe weather, in relation to how people can actually mitigate it. And by the way, Ali, you know, we talk a lot about all of these things as separate stories. You do a brilliant job. Everybody, if you guys are watching Velshi every weekend, you're really missing out because Ali brings all of this stuff together. We're talking about when migration is happening around the world. A lot of that is also driven by this stuff. The climate change that we're pretending isn't happening, but we're physically being moved around right. the earth because of it. It will actually be the single biggest cause of migration. We typically yes. think of migration being caused by conflict and wars and things like yep. that. Uh, in Syria, it triggered it. In, in Ukraine, that's not going to be what it is. It's actually going to be migration because people can't move. Generally speaking, prosperous people can move first because they yep. can afford to. But eventually, yep. when the grain stops growing or the fields keep flooding, the poor people move, too, and we're going to have to come to terms with the fact that that's going to be the major cause for migration around the world and here in America. It is really yeah. hard to live in places that get hit by tornadoes and get yep. hit by hurricanes on an ongoing basis. You can't make a living out of it. So well, we, that, that is a really, really important and necessary consideration. 
All righty. So, um, Laura Carlson, we're getting close to the top of the hour now. So likely each of you would have just about two minutes or so um, on this uh, question of the storms and uh, climate change and the relation. I mean, can we continue business as usual? I mean, things are moving along. Meanwhile, we have to pay attention to this stuff. Uh, Laura Carlson. Well, of course we can't, Margaret, and it's ironic that increased migration because of climate now is leading to people electing more climate deniers. It's a it's a no-win cycle, obviously, for the entire planet and everyone on it, but there's a disequal, an unequal impact as well. 45% of the world's population lives in high vul highly vulnerable areas, and of that 3.5 billion people, the vast majority are in the global south. So I want to go to reparations, because especially young people in the movement are calling for reparations, defined not only as financial compensation for loss and damage, but also radical changes in the economic system that causes climate change disasters. The Friday for the Future demonstrators that demonstrated in 450 places around the globe last week, just a month until uh, the COP27, where nothing will probably be done again, said colonizers and capitalists are at the core of every system of oppression that has caused the climate crisis and decolonization using the tool of climate reparations is the best kind of climate action. So we have to have an yeah. anti-systemic movement. Absolutely. And, and Jackie Goldberg, I mean, that clip actually got to the point you were making earlier, Jackie. Your thoughts on all this? I'm not hearing Jackie Goldberg. About more than 90% okay. of the excess heat from human-caused global warming over the last 50 years has been absorbed by oceans. That's what's making this a bigger problem. Hurricanes have not increased necessarily because of climate change. The intensity has, and the intensity has because the oceans are getting the excess heat that we are creating. How are we creating it? Power plants. We are creating it because we are not expanding carbon markets. We are not unleashing clean energy in the United States. We have not ended the fossil fuel subsidies of coal and oil. We have not unlocked the profit of living rainforests. Instead, we say it's great to cut them down. No, we should be paying to keep them alive. We have to stop the methane leaks. We have to phase out super polluting HFCs. We know what to do. That's the thing that's so insane. We know what, will, what would do it we're just not willing to do it politically because there's too many costs on the political level. Just name Mansion, for example. So right. the problem is, is that the oceans are absorbing the heat. When the oceans absorb the heat and there's a hurricane, that hurricane is intensified dramatically. And unless we can stop creating human uh, additions to the uh, to the uh, 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 storms by creating more heat, by creating human-caused global warming that's absorbed by the oceans, and the majority of it is stored in a top few hundred meters of the oceans, that's what's making this hurricane stuff be not the same old hurricanes that Florida or others have always dealt with. Right. Thank you. And, and Dr. Horn, your thoughts. Final word from you. Well, there's a political question as well. You may have seen the news about how the Trump-appointed head of the World Bank 
headquartered in Washington, D.C., was accused by former Vice President Al Gore of being a climate denier. His response, quote, I'm not a scientist, unquote. Now, this is the major supplier of capital, other than China, uh, to countries to build infrastructure projects. And since he is a de facto climate denier, although he tried to walk that back later, uh, speaks volumes, it speaks to, to the point that the 75 million strong Trump block, which he helps to represent, is a major impediment to any kind of legislative and executive maneuver to circumvent the climate crisis. And also pay attention to this meeting that was slated in Rotterdam in the Netherlands just a few weeks ago, where African leaders were set to sit down with their European counterparts to discuss this question, because Africa is a major victim of this climate crisis, although it has had the least to do with creating the crisis, only one head of government showed up, and that was the prime minister of Netherlands. Uh, many African leaders saw that as a slap in the face. They saw it as sort of retribution and revenge for they're not signing on to the Ukraine uh, sanctions crusade against Russia. So these political stumbling blocks are going to weigh heavily as we move forward. Yeah, and I'd also like to, to say, uh, getting back to the whole point of climate change and, and global warming, looking at industrial farming. I mean, if you look at the ways indigenous people have, have grown food over the years, it's been a natural way. There's now a huge, massive movement of women, interestingly enough, uh, in India on soil regeneration. Uh, and that movement really builds on indigenous practices uh, throughout the world. And that has a lot to do because a lot of this stuff ends up in the oceans. You know, all of the, the pollutants, et cetera, uh, that are poured into the earth and then the food we eat making us sick. So a lot to a lot to unpack there. And I'm sure this conversation is going to continue. But we're out of time. Another fascinating roundtable. Thank you, Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at one 800 735 Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. And I'd like to thank Gary Baca, our engineer. And please stay tuned for Democracy Now! Sojourner Truth will be back on the air next Tuesday. I hope you get to do something really nice this weekend. And you all stay well and safe. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.
this will soon be 